Hello, my name is Pam Johnson, and the next lecture will be CT of the gallbladder. So imaging of the gallbladder is classically first performed with ultrasound, but with widespread use of CT, gallbladder pathology may be discovered incidentally or may be the underlying source of the symptomatology that prompted imaging of the patient. So it's very important to recognize the CT appearance of inflammatory and neoplastics processes that involve the gallbladder and understand the overlapping findings. If you're performing CT for suspected gallbladder pathology, IV contrast is critical, whether it's for cholecystitis or for gallbladder tumor. It's important to distinguish the gallbladder wall and determine the gallbladder wall thickness to identify an enhancing mass in the gallbladder if you suspect a neoplasm. And in the setting of cholecystitis, IV contrast will disclose hyperemia in the adjacent liver, as shown in this case with axial and coronal images, which is an indicator of active inflammation. In a patient with suspected gallbladder cancer, the protocol is dual phase imaging with arterial and venous phase acquisitions and water for PO contrast. And the role is to determine the resectability of the lesion specifically looking for hepatic invasion and metastatic disease. And later in the talk, I will discuss um, staging of gallbladder cancer and what makes a patient unresectable. It's different from pancreatic cancer. The protocol is, the imaging protocol is similar, but the criteria for resectability, resectability are very different and important to recognize. We've had a number of patients who were referred to Hopkins with suspected pancreatic cancer who actually had gallbladder cancer. So it is important to understand the appearance and I'll show you a number of cases. One, um, one caveat in terms of protocol design is that MPRs are really critical for evaluating the gallbladder. In fact, I tell the residents to inspect every gallbladder on when they review the coronal MPR because you may see an incidental gallbladder cancer. I'll show you a, a few examples of those as well. And it, it's very helpful to distinguish wall thickening from the presence of a mass. So here's an example of adenomyomatosis that looks like a mass on the axial images, but when you look at the coronal NPR, you can see that it is just focal wall thickening. It was, it was stable over serial imaging, which um, indicates a benign etiology, but it is really important to, to accurately characterize the morphology of a lesion in the gallbladder as to whether it's a mass or wall thickening. This is an example of a perforated gallbladder. The gallbladder looked normal on the prior scan. Otherwise, the first consideration in this case would be a gallbladder cancer. But prior scan performed um, in close proximity to this study. So comparison revealed a dramatic change with acute gallbladder wall thickening. And then a lesion in the liver adjacent to the gallbladder shown on the top image, which on the coronal is actually perforation. So the, here's a, a case where the coronal was really critical to determine to, to, de, uh, to determine what, what these two findings were. And rather than this being a separate liver lesion, this is actually, you can see the superior wall of the gallbladder has perforated into the liver and shown very nicely on the coronal NPR. Gallstones are something that we see commonly on CT, um, just a number of different examples. They, they may be calcified. They can contain gas. 
They can contain gas and calcification. They can be soft tissue density, and they can be fluid density. So wide range of appearances. And one thing that's very important to recognize about gallstones is that in 25% of cases, you will not see them on CT. So here's a patient, axial and coronal CT. You cannot see this large gallstone that is shown on ultrasound. And these are the cases where the gallstone is isodense to the bile. Um, and so there are many stones that are, have a lot of cholesterol content and will not be distinguished distinguishable from bile. Here's some subtle gallstones. Um, just, just to show you an example, these, you can see them, but you can also tell, I recognize that they're not very conspicuous. They're only about 25 Hounsfield units compared to the bile, which was 10 Hounsfield units, the entire gallbladder filled with stones at surgery. Um, this is an example of dropped gallstones in a patient who has undergone cholecystectomy. You may see this. They're often adherent to the liver capsule, as in this case. If a patient has a stone in the duct, cholelithiasis, they often present with abdominal pain, pancreatitis, jaundice. Liver function tests are not 100% sensitive, but this is a critical diagnosis to make because of the risk of cholangitis and sepsis. In, um, cholelithiasis can be an isolated finding, but in elderly patients who have cholecystitis, there is a higher incidence of actually also having ductal calculi. So look very closely if you happen to be doing a CT on a patient with cholecystitis to make sure that there is also not a stone in the duct. The problem is, is that this is a diagnosis that um, is difficult to make with ultrasound and is also can be difficult to make with CT. So ultrasound is primary imaging modality for suspected gallbladder pathology. And to detect biliary obstruction. But to actually identify the stone in the duct, uh, ultrasound is not very sensitive. Ultrasound can see the dilated ducts, and it, um, it ha there's a higher likelihood of seeing a stone in a dilated duct. But because of the uh, anatomic location of the distal duct, it, there may be um, bowel gas obscuring the view. Ultrasound is not as sensitive for identifying stones in the duct. CT is much more sensitive, but it's still not 100% sensitive. And this was a study that was performed with four-slice CT and ERCP correlation. And the, the limitation are these pure cholesterol stones that are isodense to bile. So whether it's four-slice or 64-slice or 128-slice CT, it doesn't matter. Isodense stones will not be visualized. Um, so it's something that you need to, to be aware of and and recognize as a pitfall on CT. The calcified stone in a patient with dilated ducts and a distended gallbladder, as in this case, easy diagnosis. You see the calcified stone in the distal duct in the image on the right. Coronal NPRs are really great for evaluating the common bile duct, for measuring the common bile duct in anybody with biliary dilatation, and for confirming that there are stones in the duct, as in this case, you can see two stones really seen very well on the coronal study. Um, on the coronal NPR, and I always review these to increase my diagnostic confidence that I'm not mistaking a pancreatic head calcification for a stone in the duct. They are, they, the coronal and sagittal NPRs are much better for demonstrating these findings. The problem arises on CT when there is a patient with a non-calcified stone in the distal duct, as in this case. It's really difficult to discriminate. This is where MR is just the better imaging tool. 
Um, I do find, though, that, again, the, the NPRs can be helpful because you may see uh, the, the margin of the stone better on an NPR, but these cases remain challenging on CT. Um, so here's one example of that. We can see some mild biliary dilatation, and we can see a stone in the duct on the axial image, but you really do see, see it m even better on the coronal NPR. So always do look carefully at the biliary tree with your NPRs in anybody with any kind of biliary pathology. The risk that these patients have is cholangitis when they have biliary obstruction in the setting of stones. This is an example of a patient with biliary dilatation seen in the first image. There's a stone in the duct we can see. Um, and there's also some duct wall enhancement. But cholangitis is really a clinical diagnosis. You should, if you do see enhancement of the duct or any hyperemia in the liver or liver abscesses, then you should um, definitely list this as a potential in your, in your differential diagnosis that the patient may have developed cholangitis. But you may, it may, the CT may not show these findings. Um, and yet the patient still may have cholangitis. One of the pitfalls is an intraluminal mass. So rarely, um, in a small percentage of patients who have cholangiocarcinoma, it can arise in the common duct as a small soft tissue mass that mimics a stone. If you happen to have multiple acquisitions, as you do in this case, um, a mass, of course, would enhance as opposed to a gallstone, which would not change in density um, before and after contrast administration. But it is, again, a pitfall of, of CT distinguishing soft tissue density stones from masses both in the duct and in the gallbladder, and I'll show you a case of that later in the talk. So here is what we're going to review in the talk. Um, the range of pathology that you may see on CT in the gallbladder. I think the gallbladder is often overlooked by abdominal imagers, but it is really important to look at the gallbladder with axial images, with your MPRs, and to understand how CT can actually be very helpful in imaging the gallbladder. So what we'll review is the incidental porcelain gallbladder, range of different types of cholecystitis, acute and chronic, simple and complicated adenomyomatosis, which is commonly seen on CT and on ultrasound, then neoplastic processes, including adenoma, gallbladder cancer, metastases to the gallbladder, and the rare gallbladder lymphoma. One um, entity that can mimic gallbladder neoplasms is, one, is a form of chronic cholecystitis known as xanthogranulomatous cholecystitis, and I'm going to show you a number of cases of this. It is, it is a, a pitfall that, that um, can be mistaken for gallbladder cancer, and really, unfortunately, there's no way on CT to make a definitive diagnosis in some cases, but it is something to keep in mind that you may want to have in your differential diagnosis. So starting with porcelain gallbladder, this is often found as an incidental finding. It's, it's not very common, but the classic teaching has always been that patient with porcelain gallbladder has an increased risk of gallbladder cancer. It is associated with gallstones. Um, the, the actual incidence of cancer in, in the older literature was reported as high as 62%. Larger series have suggested that the incidence is as low as 7%, but many still recommend resection for patients with porcelain gallbladder. Calculus cholecystitis, one of the most common um, 
pathologies to involve the gallbladder. Ultrasound is the first line imaging modality. However, we've, there may be a patient who has right-sided abdominal pain and cholecystitis is not suspected. The patient is imaged with CT, in which case, of course, you can still make the diagnosis, particularly if the scan is performed with IV contrast. CT becomes very helpful in patients with complicated cholecystitis, and there was one study that showed that CT was really better than ultrasound in patients with complicated cholecystitis, and this includes the gangrenous, emphysematous, and hemorrhagic variants of cholecystitis, which I will review. So simple acute cholecystitis on CT, the findings are very similar to ultrasound. Gallstones, gallbladder distension, mural thickening, one thing, one area where CT I think is really helpful is in demonstrating the pericholecystic inflammation. You can see it much better on CT than with on ultrasound. And you may see hyperemia in the adjacent liver in the setting of inflammation as I show you on the first slide. So here is a patient with ultrasound and CT of acute calculus cholecystitis and both modalities show gallstones, show wall thickening, but CT really nicely shows the pericholecystic inflammation, all the stranding and the fat surrounding the gallbladder. The comp complicated cholecystitis includes perforation, gangrenous, emphysematous, and hemorrhagic. These are all complications that can occur and, and must be identified. So perforation is something that you can see with ultrasound or CT as shown in this case with an abscess adjacent to the gallbladder and, and abutting the liver secondary to gallbladder perforation. Gangrenous cholecystitis is a severe acute form of cholecystitis manifest by transmural necrosis and in this case the wall of the gallbladder is basically replaced by inflammation and necrosis. So this accounts for the findings that you see on ultrasound and CT. Classic findings on ultrasound are um, intraluminal echogenicities due to exudate and debris and intraluminal membranes because of sloth mucosa as well as a very thick and striated wall. It's important to remember that the sonographic Murphy sign may be absent in these patients because of the wall necrosis and the damage to the nerve endings. But here's the classic ultrasound appearance. We can see gallstones, wall thickening with that striated appearance. Um, as, as shown on this image, of bands of low of hypoechogenicity and hyperechogenicity, and this should this is the classic appearance for gangrenous cholecystitis. So, what do we see on CT? Same findings: intraluminal membranes, absence of the wall if the wall is necrotic, absence of mural enhancement, um, and you may see gas in the wall. So, gas is a finding that has been classically associated with emphysematous cholecystitis when there is superinfection, but you can also see it in gangrenous cholecystitis. On CT, you cannot tell the difference as to whether the gas is because of gangrenous or emphysematous cholecystitis, and it doesn't necessarily matter because either way, it is a surgical emergency. So here's an example, nice example of CT in a patient with gangrenous cholecystitis. See the wall thickening, marked wall thickening, hyperemia in the liver, pericholecystic inflammation, and this image nicely shows the correlate of the striated wall that I showed on ultrasound. You can see on CT, it's, it is manifest by 
linear areas of hypovascularity and hyperenhancement. So if this appearance on CT should raise your concern for gangrenous cholecystitis. Another patient with gangrenous cholecystitis, note the severe inflammation surrounding the gallbladder. This degree of inflammation is indicative of a severe form of cholecystitis and gangrenous cholecystitis in this case. This is a, a very interesting case of a patient with diabetes who presented with abdominal pain and um, on these images there's actually air in the portal veins air in the biliary tree and air in the wall of the gallbladder and in all three of these locations and we suspected emphysematous cholecystitis in this diabetic patient it was actually gangrenous cholecystitis but very interesting similar to necrotic bowel um, gangrenous cholecystitis resulting in portal venous gas emphysematous cholecystitis is an entity that is associated with uh, vascular insufficiency in diabetic patients. Their vascular insufficiency devitalizes the gallbladder wall, which predisposes it to superinfection with gas-producing organisms. So on CT and ultrasound, you will see gas in the wall or gas in the lumen, um, as shown in this case. So here's the ultrasound on the left, showing small echogenic foci due to gas. Um, in the wall of the gallbladder. In another case, another patient on the right, we see gas in the lumen and in the wall on CT with pericholecystic inflammation. This is emphysematous cholecystitis. A rare form of complicated cholecystitis is hemorrhagic cholecystitis. These patients often have gallstones and they usually have other predisposing factors such as anticoagulation or renal failure, cirrhosis. Trauma, rarely in a trauma patient, and this is a very severe form of cholecystitis with a high mortality rate. Patients present with pain, but they may also have GI bleeding. They can develop biliary obstruction and hemoperitoneum, and um, it's a diagnosis that you do not want to miss. Now, it's a diagnosis that may not be easy to make, however, because the findings on CT are high attenuation fluid, but um, if our experience has shown us that bile can also often be high density on CT. Small stones can mimic sludge or high density material on CT, so this is not an easy distinction to make. Um, if you see a hematocrit level or active extravasation, then you can definitively make the diagnosis. So here's an example of hemorrhagic cholecystitis. I think it could be suspected in this case because we do see pericholecystic inflammation and this is really relatively high density. It's almost a um, mass-like filling of the gallbladder lumen due to hemorrhage with a lot of surrounding inflammation. This is a, a case of hemorrhagic cholecystitis where you can definitively make the diagnosis. Pre-contrast and post-contrast imaging shows high attenuation hemorrhage on the non-contrast scan, and then active bleeding into the gallbladder lumen after IV contrast is administered. So this is a surgical emergency or, an, or endoscopic emergency depending on the, um, interventional emergency depending on the patient. And this is a finding you do not want to miss. You do not want to mistake active bleeding for gallstones. Um, if you happen to have arterial and venous phase imaging, active bleeding always changes from the arterial to the venous acquisition. As I mentioned earlier, xanthogranulomatous cholecystitis 
is um, a form of chronic cholecystitis that is associated with gallstones and can mimic gallbladder cancer radiographically. It has a number of different CT manifestations. Pathologically, it is caused by acute and chronic inflammation that results in lipid-laden macrophages and, this, and a lot of histiocytes. This accounts for the appearance that um, I will show you on CT imaging. So what you may see on CT, gallstones in many patients, focal or diffuse wall thickening, and two of the sort of classic features that have been described for XGC are intramural hypodense nodules or a hypodense mural band. This is the most specific finding. Um, in our experience, XGC has a wide range of appearances and often mimics a gallbladder mass. So here is an example of ultrasound and CT in a patient with pathologically proven xanthogranulomatous cholecystitis. On ultrasound, there's an intraluminal mass. On CT, it, we can see both um, soft tissue filling the lumen of, of the gallbladder and as well as wall enhancement. And this was concerning for our gallbladder neoplasm, but at pathology, it was actually XGC. Here's a patient with enhancing wall thickening in the gallbladder. Again, again, it was concerning for gallbladder cancer. There is no way to make the distinction on CT preoperatively, so this was resected, and it was anthogranulomatous cholecystitis. Um, this patient has gallstones as well as focal wall thickening in the gallbladder, again mimicking a gallbladder neoplasm, but pathologically proven xanthogranulomatous cholecystitis. This, this um, form of chronic cholecystitis can also manifest with diffuse wall thickening. So in this patient, four images, axial, coronal, and sagittal, showing diffuse gallbladder wall thickening with um, some enhancement as well as intramural uh, hypodensity. And this was concerning for gallbladder cancer, but at pathology, again, xanthogranulomatous cholecystitis. Adenomyomatosis is something many more people are, um, are familiar with. It is a benign entity, a form of hyperplastic cholecystosis associated with cholelithiasis. Patients are generally asymptomatic. And pathologically, the mucosa and muscularis propria are involved, which accounts for the appearance on ultrasound and on CT. So you'll see wall thickening and invaginated surface epithelium, which manifests as diverticuli. Um, this accounts for the CT rosary sign. The enhancing mucosa um, invaginates into the thickened wall and appears as multiple diverticuli or the rosary sign, and they are surrounded by the hypodense hypertrophic muscularis. One caveat is that this finding is not 100% specific for adenomyomatosis, and it can be seen in gallbladder cancer. So how do we make the distinction? Well, this patient, this has, this patient has classic adenomyomatosis. There's fundal wall thickening with small um, intramural diverticuli surrounded by enhancing uh, with enhancing mucosa. This is the classic appearance for adenomyomatosis. And the way that the diagnosis is made with certainty is if you happen to have an old scan, as we had in this case, this was stable over years. Um, so 
the diffuse form of adenomyomatosis, first time you encounter it, it's prudent to do an ultrasound and further characterize it. But if you have an old CT, and I'm going to go back to the last case, and you have an old CT um, and the appearance is stable, then um, you can be confident that it is a benign entity. I see this very commonly, fundal adenomyomatosis. If it's focal like this and I can see the small diverticuli very well, it's just in the fundal region, my interpretation is that this finding is consistent with adenomyomatosis. So when do we become concerned about gallbladder cancer? Well, the more diffuse form, if you don't have an old CT, to confirm stability. Um, and if you see a case like this, so here's a patient with much more severe gallbladder wall thickening, heterogeneous enhancement, and we can see some intramural diverticuli, but if you look very closely, you can also see that there's soft tissue extending through the wall of the gallbladder to the liver. This is a finding that is very concerning for gallbladder cancer, whenever you see disruption of the wall like this. So keep in mind that all cases with mural diverticuli are not adenomyomatosis. And if you, the first time you identify it on CT, it's prudent to do an ultrasound and, and uh, correlate and potentially follow up if there's any question. So moving on to the different uh, forms of gallbladder pathology, including gallbladder cancer, um, I'll review the different CT appearances for these four tumor types, beginning with uh, um, gallbladder adenoma and keeping in mind that xanthogranulomatous cholecystitis is, should be in your differential diagnosis for a gallbladder mass. So the first, the first neoplasm that we'll discuss is pretty rare, gallbladder adenoma. Um, it, it is uh, something that you can see in the gallbladder. It's not necessarily something that I would put in my differential diagnosis because it is really rare. And um, it, it's, it does have a risk of malignant de degeneration, but it's not a diagnosis that you could necessarily make on CT. It has a very nonspecific appearance, as in this case. So this is a patient who had lung cancer, had a mass in the gallbladder. You can see that there's some FDG uptake on PET-CT, and so it was removed, but at pathology, it was actually a gallbladder adenoma. Gallbladder cancer, of course, is the much more common gallbladder um, tumor that, that we will encounter in practice. Most of these are aggressive advanced adenocarcinoma, and um, surgical resection is really the only hope for cure. Non-surgical patients have a very low survival rate at five years. So one thing that we can do as radiologists is actually um, be aware of the fact that with widespread use of CT, you may encounter an early gallbladder cancer. So you should evaluate the gallbladder in every patient you, you uh, scan and recognize the appearance of early gallbladder cancer. And I'm going to show you some CT examples um, because that is the patient you can save. So gallbladder cancer um, generally presents at a late stage, and the morphologies that we see on CT and ultrasound range from a polypoid intraluminal mass to tumor filling the gallbladder lumen, focal or diffuse wall thickening, or a mass replacing the gallbladder. Um, the first three, of course, uh, I showed you examples of xanthogranulomatous cholecystitis that manifests with each of those three findings. Now, a mass replacing the gallbladder is, is gallbladder cancer or metastatic disease. Xanthogranulomatous cholecystitis will not manifest in that way. Um, CT is, is very good for staging gallbladder cancer, especially with the use of MPRs. 
So let's look at some cases of gallbladder cancer and the different CT appearances. Here's a patient with ultrasound and CT showing an intraluminal polypoid mass. Um, and this was an example of gallbladder cancer. Here's another example, axial and coronal images from IV contrast enhanced CT showing an intraluminal mass in the gallbladder with soft tissue density enhancing. And this was another example of gallbladder cancer. Here's a gallbladder cancer mimicking an apple core lesion that you might see um, in the colon with focal but circumferential wall thickening, narrowing the lumen. You can see the enhancement. And um, this is not something that you would suggest is cholecystitis or adenomyomatosis. This is an appearance that should make you think of gallbladder cancer, given the, uh, the focal wall thickening, the luminal narrowing, and the enhancement. Patients with gallbladder cancer often developed biliary obstruction and adenopathy, and the adenopathy is in a characteristic location, as you can see here, adjacent to the pancreatic head. So look very carefully because gallbladder cancer tends to metastasize to these nodes early in the disease process. This is um, a patient with another patient with gallbladder cancer who does have biliary obstruction, as shown on the first image but also has diffuse wall thickening. The degree of wall thickening, the enhancement, and the fact that it's inseparable from the liver are all findings that are, are concerning for gallbladder cancer, particularly in the setting of biliary obstruction. Another patient with gallbladder cancer and diffuse wall thickening. So that finding that I showed you of hyperemia in the liver is not specific to infection. You can see it, as in this case, in a patient with cancer. Um, the, of course, the clinical presentation may be different, or they may, they may have symptoms of cholecystitis. I will show you one case of that. But the irregularity of the wall, as shown in this case, the mucosal enhancement, those are findings that are suggestive of cancer. This is a nice example of a gallbladder uh, cancer basically replacing the gallbladder. And um, this is the kind of case that may be referred with the, to us with a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer because there's a peri, you know, peribiliary mass with biliary obstruction. But you have to look closely and identify, okay, where's the gallbladder? And if you don't see the gallbladder, is this potentially a cancer that has replaced the gallbladder? In these cases, you may see, as in this case, some small stones in the center of the mass, and that really does help you to determine that this is actually a cancer that arose in the gallbladder and it's encasing the gallstones that were originally present in the lumen. So gallbladder cancer um, in more than half of the cases will invade the liver. It can also, it, it's a tumor that, that infiltrates um, into the surrounding organs and fat. It can involve the colon and the duodenum. As I showed you, a, a, a large percentage of them will develop biliary dilatation, and they may have adenopathy, which is classically um, cholidocal or peripancreatic. A small percentage will have ascites as well. Um, so on this coronal image, this is a nice example of gallbladder cancer invading the liver. And, and I show this case is important because the gallbladder cancer itself is not that large. It's only involving one wall of the gallbladder, but gallbladder cancer often invades directly into the liver even before it has spread, um, you know, before it's metastasized or even before it's involved nodes. And this is important for preoperative planning to make this 
finding and accurately characterize the extent of these tumors. Things that we are looking for that make the patient unresectable. Here's a patient with hepatic metastases and omental nodules. So look very closely for evidence of peritoneal carcinomatosis or liver metastasis in the setting of gallbladder cancer. This patient is unresectable. So the really important feature of gallbladder cancer that is different from other pancreatic and periampulary tumors is that invasion of the liver does not make the patient unresectable. Metastases to the liver do make the patient unresectable. So keep that in mind. Here is an example of um, a gallbladder cancer with asymmetric wall thickening and the classic adenopathy that I, I mentioned before, periportal, peripancreatic adenopathy. This is the classic pattern of lymph node spread for gallbladder cancer and the areas that you should be looking very closely. MPRs are so helpful for characterizing the extent of, t of um, tumor invasion in these cases. The axial images just don't tell the whole story and they don't tell it accurately. So we see in this case a mass surrounding calcifications in the gallbladder um, on the axial image, but on the coronal image you can see the tumor is invading the duodenum and the right kidney. So these findings are so important. This is a patient um, that has advanced beyond the classic description for res the classic criteria for resectability. And these are findings that you need to make um, at the time of diagnosis to, to guide the proper management for this patient. So what deems a patient with gallbladder cancer non-resectable? We're going to review the list. Inve involvement of the main portal vein or main hepatic artery. Um, however, if, you, if the tumor only involves the right hepatic artery or the right portal vein, that patient may still be resectable. So this is the difference, one of the differences between gallbladder cancer and pancreatic cancer. Vascular involvement of the celiac or SMA and pancreatic cancer makes the patient unresectable. Involvement of, of a branch of the hepatic artery or portal vein in gallbladder cancer is still in the category of resectable. Um, if the tumor involves hepatic artery and contralateral portal vein, then the tumor is unresectable. Involvement of both lobes of the liver at the confluence of the hepatic ducts, so very central tumor involvement, makes the patient unresectable. However, invasion of the liver is not necessarily unresectable if it's localized. Um, if it involves more than two contiguous segments, in both lobes of the liver, then it is non-resectable. So the very specific criteria for determining whether a gallbladder cancer is or is not resectable. Involvement of the colon, duodenum, pancreas, um, other solid organs, it puts the patient in the un unresectable category, as well as hepatic and peritoneal metastases, as I showed you earlier. So let's talk about something very important that we can do as radiologists, and that is to identify the unsuspected incidental gallbladder cancer. And I, I have seen at, at least three or four of these in practice if you look closely. So you must really evaluate the gallbladder closely because this is the difference between um, finding a, a cancer when it is completely uh, resectable and the patient can be cured, especially if it's very small. More than half of all gallbladder cancer is discovered incidentally at cholecystectomy. 
These incidental lesions have a lower stage, they're better differentiated, much less likely to have um, lower rate of metastatic disease and much longer survival rate. So recognizing this, um, we did a study where we looked at all of our all early gallbladder cancers and I'm going to show you the different cases and I'm going to show you one of the most critical findings that you need to recognize to raise your suspicion for gallbladder cancer because the findings can be very subtle. Here's a patient. We have an axial image on the left and a coronal image on the right. You can see that there is um, asymmetric wall thickening and loss of the fat plane between the gallbladder and the liver and a little bit of stranding going into the pericholecystic fat. So this is not an appearance that would make you think of cholecystitis. It's very localized and yet you get a sense that it is already advancing beyond the gallbladder. This is early gallbladder cancer. Um, here it is a slightly larger image. When you lose that fat plane between the gallbladder and the liver in the setting of focal wall thickening, you need to be concerned about cancer. Now, this patient, the finding was identified and um, but not necessarily recognized as cancer and it is really very subtle. This would be a tough call to make prospectively but when the patient returned for follow-up you can see that the tumor has now really invaded into the liver, into the adjacent liver. So that is the appearance of very early gallbladder cancer and rapidly invades the liver. It also will rapidly metastasize to nodes, so you want to make the diagnosis early. This is a, an incidental gallbladder cancer that would be another incredibly difficult call to make prospectively, but something that we, um, we need to recognize. This is, this is not the classic appearance for a small gallbladder polyp. This is focal segment of gallbladder wall thickening and enhancement. And it's something that would at a very minimum have to be followed very closely and I'll show you why. And, and it looks a little bit more suspicious on the axial than on the coronal image on the right. Um, but eight months later it is much larger and this was a very early gallbladder cancer. And uh, you can see how quickly it grows. So it is an aggressive tumor similar to pancreatic cancer in most cases. And it is something that if you see a segment of enhancing wall in the gallbladder, you have to um, provide a differential diagnosis at a very minimum it has to be followed very closely. Um, same patient, baseline eight months later, rapidly enlarging gallbladder mass. Um, again, the same patient with a different axial image has, has at the eight-month follow-up, developed peripancreatic adenopathy. So, as I mentioned, it grows quickly and it metastasizes to the lymph nodes very quickly. Here's another incidental gallbladder cancer um, shown as a, a uh, small mass in the gallbladder, which um, this is a, a, a point that I always tell the residents. Whenever you see you know, any kind of mass, any kind of aortic aneurysm, always compare to the oldest study that you can find because otherwise you run the risk of falling into the trap of of interpreting this as no change from prior. And in this case, interestingly, the, this mass had not changed from prior on multiple, multiple scans. But when you compared over two years, you could see that it was actually growing. So at that point, um, the surgeon said, okay, well, then we, then we need to resect it. This is a patient that had already undergone some prior surgery and was being followed for uh, you know, something, something unrelated to the gallbladder, but at this point, the recognition is made that this is actually slowly growing and it was resected and it was an adenocarcinoma. So this is a pretty unusual case of a slowly growing adenocarcinoma, but just keep in mind that you must compare and determine if there's any growth, any, any change in size mandates surgery.
Um, here's that same patient again with uh, coronal NPRs showing the difference in size over, over two years. Um, this is a, an interesting case of a patient who has a stone in the duct, cholidocolithiasis, as well as um, a gallbladder cancer. So you can see the wall thickening and the, and the, peri and the uh, soft tissue extension beyond the wall of the gallbladder into the pericholecystic fat. So what are the findings that we defined in early gallbladder cancer when we reviewed our cases? Um, we found that the most common finding was focal wall thickening, but the lesions can present as a polypoid mass or diffuse circumferential wall thickening in a small percentage of cases. The average size of the polypoid masses was 4 centimeters, 3.7 centimeters. The mean wall thickness for circumferential wall thickening was 14 millimeters. Um, focal wall thickening, 12 millimeters, and the length in the setting of focal wall thickening was on an average 3 centimeters. So um, these are the findings that, you should, that should raise your suspicion. And this is a very interesting case. This is one of the cases that was in our series of a patient who actually clinically had acute cholecystitis and had the CT findings 100% um, compatible with cholecystitis. There's wall thickening, pericholecystic stranding, and hyperemia in the liver. And um, the patient underwent surgery, and at surgery it was determined that um, that that little soft tissue density in the gallbladder that most people would probably assume was a, a soft tissue density stone was a small gallbladder cancer. So in an older patient, look very carefully, keeping in mind that stones can mimic soft tissue nodules, but look for a tumor potentially obstructing the cystic duct as a cause of cholecystitis in an older patient. So this was a T1 gallbladder cancer. Another patient with a T2 gallbladder cancer with focal wall thickening. And um, another nice example of focal wall thickening. So if you see focal wall thickening, you see mucosal enhancement like this, and again, we've lost the plane between the gallbladder and the liver. Um, that, those are findings that are concerning for gallbladder cancer. That, that plane, evaluating the, um, the relationship of the gallbladder wall to the adjacent liver is critical. Okay, so moving on to metastatic disease to the gallbladder, there are certain tumors that have a propensity for metastasizing. Those include, to the gallbladder, those include melanoma and renal, which is something we all know, but also renal cell carcinoma, breast cancer, GI, and lung. Those are the most common. So do be, be sure to in, inspect the gallbladder, particularly melanoma patients. It may be the only site of metastatic disease. The problem is that with CT, metastases from melanoma to the gallbladder um, are not as, as conspicuous as they are on, C, on ultrasound and MR. On CT, it can be very subtle, especially at the early stage when the lesions are small. So here's an example where you can see a mass in the gallbladder on CT, and you can see that it's very FDG avid on PET, and this was metastatic melanoma. Here's a case where you can see the mass very well on ultrasound, on the first image. You can see the mass very well on MR, but if you look on CT, you may mistake that for some stones. It's, it's, you can't even identify the actual morphology of it. You just see some high density in the lumen. So the take-home point is that in patients with metastatic melanoma, um, just very carefully inspect the gallbladder. Uh, one of the very rare 
Tumors to involve the gallbladder is lymphoma, and the reason being that there is no lymphoid tissue in a normal gallbladder. Lymphoma only arises in patients who have had chronic inflammation, introducing some lymphatic cells, and then there's a very, very small chance um, of developing a gallbladder cancer. There's only 30 cases of primary gallbladder uh, lymphoma described in the literature, but I do have a case, so I'd like to show you and recognize the different range of appearances similar to other um, manifestations of lymphoma in other organs. You can see an intraluminal mass. You may see wall thickening. In the published series of lympho gallbladder lymphoma, the degree of wall thickening is actually associated with the different grades of lymphoma and severe irregular wall thickening associated with a higher grade. Um, of course, the presence of adenopathy is always a helpful finding. So here is one case, this very interesting case, of a patient who had undergone partial nephrectomy for renal cell carcinoma. First follow-up CT shows multiple new low-density masses in the liver and a mass in the gallbladder. Now, it would be very unusual for any kind of renal cell carcinoma to develop bilateral renal metastases on the first follow-up scan. And um, the lesion that would most likely do that would be a clear cell or conventional, which would still be exceedingly rare, but they would be hypervascular. So we have bilateral hypovascular renal masses and a solid mass in the gallbladder, and this was actually lymphoma. Very rare, but now um, I've shown you this case. And it is important to remember that anytime you see bilateral low-density lesions in the kidneys, particularly new, lymphoma is always in the differential diagnosis. So in closing, in evaluating the gallbladder, if you take a pattern-based approach, it will help you to define your differential diagnosis, although as we've sh I've shown in this talk, there are many overlapping appearances by different pathologies. But we can define a differential diagnosis for each of these types of patterns, starting with an intraluminal mass. Differential diagnosis would include a polyp, particularly if it's small, rarely an adenoma, an adenomyoma in the setting of adenomyomatosis. XGC, as I showed you, can mimic an intraluminal mass, gallbladder cancer, metastases to the gallbladder, and lymphoma. Other characteristics of the patient will help you to, to uh, define your differential diagnosis and tailor it depending on their, their other um, history, whether they have a history of a primary cancer or lymphoma elsewhere, for example. The presence of focal wall thickening you may see with adenomyomatosis, typically in the fundus with the small diverticuli, but can also be seen with xanthogranulomatous cholecystitis, gallbladder cancer, and it is one manifestation of metastatic melanoma. Diffuse wall thickening is a finding that we may see in a range of, of uh, causes. Beyond acute and chronic cholecystitis, it can also be caused by inflammatory processes and cancer. But as we all know, it can be caused by things that are unrelated to the gallbladder, such as hepatitis, pancreatitis, um, other inflammatory processes that are in the region of the gallbladder, patients with CHF, cirrhosis, renal failure. So it's not necessarily a primary uh, gallbladder problem. As we know, in practice, we may see diffuse wall thickening in patients um, who have congestive heart failure or other problems that are unrelated to the, the gallbladder itself. So one thing that I wanted to, uh, to do to try and help us to distinguish XGC from gallbladder cancer, given the overlapping findings, since I showed you all those cases where they, um, XGC looks a lot like a gallbladder cancer, 
is to see, I, I looked at a number of different papers in the literature and, and to find the different features that may help in determining the etiology. So in, in a several different papers, features that were evaluated included diffuse wall thickening, which is more common with XGC, but not specific. Um, delayed gallbladder wall enhancement, with this, which is not something we can typically evaluate for because we don't routinely do delayed acquisitions. Um, pericholecystic infiltration was more common with XGC, but it certainly can be seen in gallbladder cancer. The intramural hypodense nodule is a finding that is reportedly very highly specific, if you happen to see it, but I, the sensitivity is probably much lower given the range of appearances of XGC. Um, so that is one feature which is, um, was much more highly associated with XGC. Gallstones um, can be seen in both entities. The disrupted mucosal line, however, and the presence of adenopathy, these are features that have got to raise your concern for gallbladder cancer. And um, sort of an expansion on the disrupted mucosal line, any kind of mural disruption, as shown nicely in this case, where you can see that there is soft tissue that has extended through the wall of the gallbladder and into the liver, even if it's not necessarily seen as invading the liver. Any kind of mural disruption should raise your concern for gallbladder cancer, particularly in the setting of adenopathy. So finally, the last pattern was a mass replacing the gallbladder, and the differential diagnosis in this, pa in this setting is really number one is always going to be gallbladder cancer, but other tumors can can um, mimic this if you had an exophytic hepatocellular carcinoma or a central cholangiocarcinoma or rarely, rarely metastatic disease. So in conclusion, um, remember the importance of IV administration for evaluating the gallbladder and MPRs. You, and, and I really would love to, like to emphasize the importance of looking at the gallbladder in all patients to potentially identify an early gallbladder cancer when it is completely resectable. Also understand the limitations, being isodense calculi in the distal duct. The isodense stones are very hard to see on CT, and the, uh, um, keep in mind the overlapping appearances of XGC and cancer. Um, so um, in closing, thank you very much for your time.